Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life, encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends. Where does religion and faith enter the discussion of American presidents? Why might this period in history be known as a turning point for people in surprising ways? Dr. Gary Scott Smith is the author of the book, Religion in the Oval Office, The Religious Lives of American Presidents, published in 2015. He's also the author of Faith and the Presidency, from George, w, from George Washington to George W. Bush, published in 2009. Both books published by Oxford University Press. His op-eds have appeared in the Washington Post, Newsweek, the USA Today, and other outlets. He has been featured on programs both on television, podcasts, and other programs as well. We pause here to remind you the beginning of our show, the reason we have the Good Life program, all friend, is to lead you to Jesus, for you to know that there is always hope in Christ, that God loves you, that God knows you, and there is forgiveness of sins through the shed blood of Christ, on the cross of Calvary. God loves you, John 3.16. Romans 5.8, Jesus died for your sins. He was buried, yes, but he rose again from the grave. 1 Corinthians 15.3 and 4. And today, the living Christ, who has touched the heart of and life of Gary Scott Smith, is reaching out to you. Will you turn to Jesus? Will you open your heart? Will you follow him? as your Savior and Lord. That means turning from your ways to God's ways. That's an act of repentance. Gary's done that. I've experienced the love of Christ. My friend, if you know the Lord, look, you're going to be encouraged today as you listen to this poignant topic as shared by Gary Scott Smith. He's a professor, professor of history emeritus at Grove City College He's also an ordained Presbyterian minister who serves as a parish associate and the director of the mission program at St. Andrew's Covenant Presbyterian Church in Wilmington, North Carolina. He taught at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania from 1978 to 2017, where he chaired the history department. He earned his MDiv at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and his Ph.D., in history at Johns Hopkins University. Gary, welcome to our show. Thank you, Danny. Tell us, Gary, where did you grow up? I grew up in western Pennsylvania in a county called Venango that now has the distinction of being the poorest among the 67 counties in Pennsylvania. It was relatively poor then, but it has become even poorer in recent years. Um, it was an oil boom area. The main uh, community is called Oil City. 
Uh, I grew up in the in a rural area. Some would say the boondocks. Well, what was it like for you there growing up in the boondocks? At what point did you sense a desire to learn, grow, study, explore? Well, I was raised in the United Methodist Church. Um, my mother took us, myself and my three younger siblings there faithfully every Sunday. But it wasn't until 1962, uh, in the summer when I was um, almost 12, that I went to a church camp run by the Methodist Church in a nearby county. And for the first time in my life, understood the importance of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And hearing that message proclaimed, uh, something finally clicked. I understood it, and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Prior to that point, my mother had paid me a dime per chapter to read the Bible. And I'd often knock off 20 chapters a night. Two bucks was quite a bit in 1962. Uh, however, uh, the Bible wasn't particularly meaningful to me at that point. It was mainly words on a page, ancient history. But after I accepted Christ as my Savior, the uh, Bible came alive to me. And I began to want to read it without any financial remuneration. Um, I became God's active word, uh, became vital in my life. I was blessed to have a very active Bible club that I was part of in high school. I was blessed to have uh, Christian friends and continue to go back to that church camp for 10 days every summer. And once I became a Christian, um, I certainly resonated with a lot of what was being said in the church that I grew up and that all those things came together prior to college to uh, having a positive impact on my growth in Christ. In your early days of your faith, who would you say influenced you most during those times? Well, in the Methodist church, you have a rotation system. And so pastors particularly in rural areas, came and went. So I can't say that it was any particular minister, although ministers were uh, significant through their proclamation of the word and their role modeling in my life. I would say probably my mother, who died last summer at almost age 94, was the principal uh, spiritual influence in my life. Um, but I would go on in later years to have other mentors. But as I was growing up, I would, I would say, uh, she was probably the principal influence. What do you remember about her influence? Why did she have such impact on you? Things that she said, things that she did? Why? Well, I think she, she modeled the gospel, um, she went to church faithfully. She taught Sunday school. She encouraged us to go to church and participate in Methodist Youth Fellowship. 
She encouraged us to read the Bible. She was very interested in having spiritual conversations, uh, discussing scripture, you know, all those things. And um, I recognized, I think, at an early age that my father was not the easiest man to live with. Um, and, and she was a faithful wife um, in the midst of the, the trials of marriage. And so I think that spoke to me as well. Gary, having such a strong foundation with your mother and at church and those that were around you, when did you sense God leading you to become a professor? Well, I felt called to Christian ministry when I was in high school, probably my, my junior year in high school. It was a call I initially uh, was not happy about was protesting about, kicking against. Um, again, the, the ministers I had known weren't terribly well-educated or well-spoken, and I didn't have the most positive view of ministers. But I went off to college as a pre-theology major, uh, took a major in psychology because the uh, American Theological Seminary Association said that, that was a good way to prepare for seminary. And I was planning to go become a, a, a minister of the gospel. But my senior year of college, there was a new campus ministry organization that had begun in West Pennsylvania called the Coalition for Christian Outreach. Its original mission was 250-mile radius of Pittsburgh, where it began. And after some prayerful consideration and talking to Christian friends that I admired, I decided to take a two-year commitment with the coalition before I went to seminary, working on a college campus as part of the state system of higher education near Erie, Pennsylvania, on Lake Erie. And during that two-year period while I was working in campus ministry was when I first felt God laying on my heart the idea of becoming a college professor, something that, to the best of my knowledge, I had never thought about when I was in college itself. Again, I didn't have very many role models in college that, as professors that I particularly gravitated toward. The school where I attended was had gone down the road pretty far towards secularization, didn't have many professors who were um, integrating their faith and learning uh, when I was there. Uh, I would say subsequently the college turned around dramatically, reclaimed its historic Christian roots, uh, became the Christian institution its founders designed it to be, and I had a chance over many years to participate in that. Uh, as a call, as a professor there. But anyway, so back to my time in campus ministry, um, there were professors at this school uh, where I was a campus minister who were dealing with my students that I was involved with trying to mentor for Christ and influencing them for every philosophy under the sun, except for Christianity. Uh, existentialism and secular humanism and naturalism and on the list went. 
And I felt God beginning to tug at my heart and say, you know, maybe this is something that you could do uh, from a Christian perspective. So I went to seminary, Gordon-Conwell, Boston, and I pursued the MDiv to be able to be ordained, uh, in my case, in the Presbyterian Church USA, but also with the idea that I would, if God provided the way, that I would go on and do a Ph.D., uh, and teach rather than engage actively as my primary vocation in Christian ministry. So that all worked out. Um, got some good scholarship opportunities after seminary, including the one I took to go to Johns Hopkins. Um, I did eventually become ordained. And on the side, I have engaged in quite a bit of, of ministry as an interim or stated supply pastor and currently a parish associate uh, at a church in Wilmington, North Carolina. So I've done a lot of preaching and teaching and counseling and the kinds of things that ministers do over the years, but my primary occupation has been as a college professor. You're listening to Dr. Gary Scott Smith. Speaking of becoming a professor, he was named the 2001 Pennsylvania Professor of the Year by the Carnegie Foundation the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching and the Council for Advancement and Support Education. He's also written a, a plethora of books, including books on faith and the American presidents. We'll talk about these books and more, his writing career, when we come back. Amazon.com, Gary Scott Smith. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wondering the Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. A police officer found a girl crying on the sidewalk one day. What's wrong, he asked. I'm lost, she said. Do you have your parents' phone number, he asked. No, she said. What about your address? No, she began to sob. Suddenly, she stopped and her eyes brightened. What happened? the officer asked. I remember, she said. There's a church near my house, and at the top of the church, there's a cross. Take me to the cross. Take me to the cross, because when I see the cross, I'll be able to find my way home. My friend, if you feel like you've lost your way, turn to the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, who died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. Will you turn to Jesus? Open your heart to Him and find your way home to God. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a program that was born out of prayer. The Spirit of Christ guides us through prayer, empowers us through prayer, and provides for us through prayer. There are mighty things that the Lord is doing in the Northeast, across the United States, and around the world. Would you like to be a part of God's work through The Good Life with Dr. Danny? Visit drdanny.live. Dr. Danny invites you to join his prayer team. Each month, you will receive a letter updating you on some of the behind-the-scenes developments, prayer requests, along with a devotional that Dr. Danny writes to encourage you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Join the prayer team today and make an eternal difference in people's lives. Visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live.
You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Yes, Gary Scott Smith is the author of Religion in the Oval Office, Faith and the Presidency, Duty and Destiny, the Life and Faith of Winston Churchill, published in 2021, American Religious History, Belief and Society Through Time, published in 2020. You're listening to the Good Life Radio Program. Yes, Dr. Gary Scott Smith is with us, joining us from North Carolina. He did go to seminary here in uh, the Boston area at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary before he went on for his Ph.D. at Johns Hopkins University. He's been a professor emeritus after after nearly 30 years of teaching at Grove City College. Gary what inspired you after, even after retiring? I know you were writing while you were teaching, but what inspired you to become a writer? Well, writing is a great way of learning because you have to obviously do, if you're going to do scholarly writing, you have to do a lot of research to, uh, to write books and articles. So it was a way of focusing my learning and I also had a desire to help other people understand some important developments in American religious history, American political history, American social history. I look at myself as my primary first audience for a book. In other words, I write because it's engaging, it's interesting, it's stimulating. I enjoy the process and the outcome. And I try to choose topics that I will find interesting and sustaining because particularly when I was teaching, it could take five years to write a book. So that's a, a long time to be involved in a project. The pace has quickened since I retired from teaching. But I, I think that it's just a, it's a great way to uh, learn. And I learn a lot by writing, um, just like you also learn a lot when you're required to teach, whether you're talking about a college class or a Sunday school lesson. So those are some of the primary reasons that I write, but I, I would hopefully do it ultimately to God's glory and honor that it would be bring glory to him by the things that I write. I think of Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. And truly you, you, you do that, Gary, and you inspire me and you're inspiring our listeners as we share in this time with you nearly 40 years of teaching. Why did you choose to write about American presidents and faith or slash religion? Well, when I first started working on this subject in 2001, I thought that this subject had been vastly understudied and vastly underwritten about. Um, there was very little scholarly analysis of how the faith of presidents developed, how it sustained them during their presidencies, how it impacted their policies, how it had a impact upon American political history and American society. So there were a few books out there that tried to provide short synopses of 
the lives of all the presidents up until the time they were written, but no in-depth studies of a group of presidents. And there had been a few religious biographies of presidents, but again, not very many, and most of them not particularly well done. And in very few cases had they availed themselves, as you all know, of the archival materials that are out there in various presidential libraries across the country. So thankfully, uh, funded by some generous grants from the Earhart Foundation and miles and miles of traveling and hundreds and thousands of photocopies that I would bring back and then pour through and process from these libraries. Um, I was able to uh, address some of these issues that I think had been woefully understudied and neglected. And I also wanted to write on something that I thought a lot of people would have an interest in. After all, we're fascinated by our presidents uh, and we want to know more about them. And there's a large Christian audience out there who desire to know, did presidents have faith? And if so, how important was it in their lives? And exactly, precisely what ways did it influence them? Pouring over archival documents, was there anything in your research that surprised you, I should say? What surprised you most? about what you discovered in faiths of American presidents? I guess what surprised me the most, given the fact that it had been so little written about, was just how significant a role that Christianity played in the lives of so many presidents. In the two books that you described, uh, Faith in the Presidency and Religion in the Oval Office, I wrote about 22 of the presidents for whom religion was most significant. I left out a few uh, because of various factors such as Garfield, who had very little time in office before he was assassinated. But I basically cherry-picked the ones that, you know, for whom faith was most significant. And yet, so little at that point, again, I began in 2001, had been done. Uh, on these on this subject, uh, over the past 15 years, roughly, there have been quite a few religious biographies that have come out, usually about single presidents, but a couple other books that dealt with a, a group of presidents. And even someone like Franklin Roosevelt, who you would have thought would have been mined exhaustively by scholars, uh, had very little written about his faith, even though he was a committed Episcopalian who had been a uh, warden that would be the senior leadership position in an Episcopal church, in his case, the St. James Episcopal Church in Hyde Park, New York, near uh, where he, where his home and museum are. So there was a, there was a big knowledge gap out there and not only was his faith meaningful to him, but I argue it was very significant to him. Um, he composed a six-minute prayer uh, that was read shortly after the D-Day invasion. Um, he issued numerous statements about the importance of faith 
uh, it was a part of his press conferences. It was part of many speeches he gave. It was part of some of the policies that he pursued. And that's just one example out of 22. So, I, again, I think that the, the main surprise to me was that there was so much good information out there that had not seen the light of day, that had not been uh, written about because no one had gone and, and looked deeply uh, at the archival material that was available. So having written 22, written on 22 presidents, how important is religion to American presidents? Well, I certainly argue that it's not the only factor that helped shape their worldviews and their political philosophies and their personalities and their relationships with various groups. But I argue, again, that it was much more important than has previously been recognized that relationships with religious constituencies uh, was very significant to many presidents. And many of them, particularly beginning with Eisenhower to the present, have had liaisons appointed to deal with specific religious groups. Many of them, during their campaigning, have appointed uh, ministers or other people of faith to reach out as their faith coordinators to various groups. Um, I have a book that will be coming out next fall, a uh, religious biography of Hillary Clinton. And one of the arguments that I make in that book is that had she spent more time and energy and money in relating to religious groups, particularly evangelicals, uh, she might have very well been elected president. Uh, if you look at the three states where uh, you had incredibly close uh, outcomes, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and uh, Minnesota, I'm sorry, Wisconsin, Michigan, and, and Pennsylvania, there were high percentages of evangelicals in all those states. And if she had won even the same percentage of the evangelical vote that Barack Obama had won in 2016 or, or 2012 or 2008, she would have been president instead of Donald Trump. So, again, um, faith was, a, a, I think, very, very important factor to many presidents. Abraham Lincoln famously said, uh, I got down on my knees to pray because there was nowhere else to go. And many other presidents have echoed that statement, saying that the pressures of the Oval Office, uh, the president, the pressures of being the leader of the free world, quote unquote, are so immense and the stakes are so high that you need a support system. And for many presidents, it was the Bible. It was their Christian friends. It was a worshiping community. It was religious mentors or all of the above that helped sustain them during their trials and tribulations and challenges. Gary, you talk about, as you mentioned, Clinton, Hillary Clinton and the election. Well, elections are a big part of the discussion today and more so as time goes on. When we come back, let's, let's talk a little bit more about elections. You're listening to Dr. Gary Scott Smith, he is the author of the books Religion in the Oval Office and Faith and the Presidency. When we come back, you're going to hear more from him. Those books, both published by Oxford University Press, have been 
groundbreaking in terms of the depth that Gary Scott Smith has gone into. When I say depth, the pages of the book itself are sometimes comparable to the footnotes that Gary Scott Smith presents. Stay with us. We'll be back with more from Gary. Wandering the road of desperate life Famously beneath the barren sky On behalf of Danny Yamashiro Ministries, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny weekdays at 6 p.m. on WEZE and visiting drdanny.live for more resources. My dear friend, it is because of listeners and donors like you that we are able to spread the message of Jesus' love and bring hope to people like you, your family, and friends. Proverbs 11.25 says, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Will you prayerfully consider donating to Danny Yamashiro Ministries so that we may continue to broadcast the gospel so believers will be built up and non-believers may form a relationship with Jesus Christ? Visit drdanny.live to make a financial contribution today. That's drdanny.live. And thank you again for supporting The Good Life with Dr. Danny. May God richly bless you with The Good Life. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. In 2020, Gary Scott Smith wrote American Religious History, Belief, and Society Through Time. In 2021, he wrote Duty and Destiny, The Life and Faith of Winston Churchill. In 2022, he wrote Strength for the Fight, The Life and Faith of Jackie Robinson. His books on faith in American presidents, 2015 and 2009, Religion in the Oval Office and Faith and the Presidency, respectively, both published by Oxford University Press, foundational books in the realm of faith and presidents, Gary Scott Smith joins us today. You can get his books at Amazon.com. Before our break, we were talking about religion and presidential elections, just starting up on that subject. So, Gary, take us there. Where does religion enter the discussion of political elections? Uh, Take us beyond what you've mentioned with Hillary Clinton and what could have been when it came to Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania back when she was running? Well, certainly there are a lot of factors that motivate people to vote for who they choose. There are factors pertaining to party affiliation, to the economy, to social issues, to life experiences, also to religion, where some of the religious aspects also dovetail with social issues particularly. Throughout American history, religion has played a major role in a number of elections. Among the most prominent ones would be the election of 1800 with Thomas Jefferson defeating John Adams when Jefferson was accused of being an infidel and John Adams was accused of wanting to adopt a Presbyterian establishment uh, if he were reelected, which was kind of strange since he wasn't 
Presbyterian, but certainly the election of 1896 with uh, William McKinley versus uh, William Jennings Bryan was uh, you know, two evangelical Protestants squaring off a Methodist and a Presbyterian. Of course, Bryan would achieve much more notoriety later for the Scopes Monkey Trial in 1925. He was a pretty young guy when he first ran for the presidency in 1896. So religion was a major factor in that election. Then, of course, you jump to 18 to 1928, when you have Herbert Hoover, a Quaker, running against Al Smith, who was the first major Catholic candidate for the presidency. And Smith's Catholicism was not used directly by the Hoover campaign, but by some of Hoover's uh, supporters and allies as a way of saying, you know, you can't vote for him because he's subservient to the Pope. Pope will have undue influence in American society if you elect Smith. Strikingly, almost nothing was said about the fact that Hoover was a Quaker and that he would be in charge of the armed forces as commander-in-chief, and what impact would that have considering Quakers are historically pacifists? And then, again, I could point out religious aspects of pretty much every election that I talk about in, in these two books, but we jumped to 1960, when again, John F. Kennedy, John F. Kennedy's Catholicism was an issue, particularly in among certain very conser- theologically conservative Protestants, and that was a grounds to not vote for him for some people. He became the first Catholic president, despite that opposition to him. And then religion played a pretty big role in 1980, when we had, again, two well, in the case of 1983, evangelicals squaring off against each other with incumbent President Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, and Congressman John Anderson. The evangelical community, which had given pretty strong support to Carter in 76, basically uh, largely deserted him in 1980 because they were more in tune with Ronald Reagan's social and political policies than they were with Carter's. And then, of course, Carter was... Uh, <clears throat> had some problems because of what we called stagflation, a stagnant economy and high levels of inflation at the same time. Uh, We can go on to the election of 2000, where you have George W. Bush, a very outspoken evangelical running against uh, Al Gore, who had uh, been a seminary student. We can go on to mention a variety of other elections uh, or even the points where Religion played a significant role because of, say, Barack Obama's relationship with the Trinity United Church of Christ uh, congregation in Chicago. And then 2004, with John Kerry's uh, policy being condemned by many Catholic priests and parts of the Catholic hierarchy because of his stance on abortion. And, and on and on the list goes, 2016 election uh Evangelicals voted for uh, Donald Trump by 81% roughly, in large part because uh, they thought he would better defend religious liberty and that he was, uh, he took a pro-life position over against Hillary's pro-choice position and also because of who he promised to nominate for the Supreme Court with the idea that that could defend things evangelicals cared about. Uh, including um, perhaps end Roe versus Wade. So, you know, religion has been a major issue in, in many elections in American history, and 
I would argue, despite the growing number of nuns in society, that is people that say they have no religious affiliation, uh, involvement or identity, that religion is going to continue to play a significant role. Uh, I would still argue that it would be very difficult for a professed atheist to be elected president of the United States because most people would, according to polling data at least, don't want a person in the Oval Office that they think wouldn't uh, turn to God in times of crisis. You've taken us, you've taken us down the, the history of America with the intersection of religion and presidents, Gary. Why might this period in the unfolding of history be known as a turning point for people in surprising ways? Well, obviously, it's going to depend to some extent on who is nominated to two major parties and what other issues arise between now and then. If it's Donald Trump against Joe Biden, so if we have a repeat of the 2020 election, will some evangelicals desert Trump because of the events that have happened since 2020, um, the accusations that have been raised against him. Joe Biden, of course, is, is, a, is a staunch Catholic and very faithful attender of, of Catholic worship. He suffers from the same disability uh, among religious conservatives that Hillary did in, and John Kerry did because of his stance on abortion. So that will undoubtedly be an issue. You know, it's not looking like the Supreme Court issue will be nearly as important um, in 2024 as it was in in uh, 2016, for example. Uh, right now, it's not looking like there's going to be a lot of vacancies, um, given the age and health of the current uh, occupants of the court. So I don't know definitively whether this will be a, a turning point in 2024. And of course, it's certainly possible that neither one of those two gentlemen will be the uh, the candidates. Uh, they certainly could face significant opposition within their own parties. Biden might decide not to seek re-election given age and health concerns, also depending on how his presidency goes the next couple of years. I think it's very likely that Donald Trump will seek the Republican nomination. It's also possible he'll have stronger opposition than he did in 2016. With someone like you, Gary, who is able to communicate the facts and communicate reflectively with American history, I do have a question when we come back from our break. When we talk about presidents, when we talk about presidents and faith, I want to hear if you have a favorite president, and if so, who is it and why? So when we come back, you're going to hear from Gary Scott Smith sharing more with you in this, our final segment. Does religion influence political decisions? If so, how? If not, why not? Gary Scott Smith, our guest today. Find out more about Gary and his books at Amazon.com. Pick them up today. Share them with family members, friends. Again, Gary Scott Smith at Amazon.com. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life. Famously beneath the barren sky. James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life. 
by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. A police officer found a girl crying on the sidewalk one day. What's wrong, he asked. I'm lost, she said. Do you have your parents' phone number, he asked. No, she said. What about your address? No, she began to sob. Suddenly, she stopped, and her eyes brightened. What happened, the officer asked. I remember, she said. There's a church near my house, and at the top of the church, there's a cross. Take me to the cross. Take me to the cross, because when I see the cross, I'll be able to find my way home. My friend, if you feel like you've lost your way, turn to the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, who died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. Will you turn to Jesus? Open your heart to Him and find your way home to God. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Well, his books are, Gary Scott Smith's books are, Religion in the Oval Office, The Religious Lives of American Presidents, published in 2015, and Faith and the Presidency, From George Washington to George W. Bush, published in 2009, both published by Oxford University Press. You're listening to the Good Life radio program. Danny Yamashiro here with Gary Scott Smith. Indeed, it is an honor for us to share in this time with you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for joining in. Thank you for being part of the Good Life radio program. Again, Gary Scott Smith's books are available at Amazon.com. Go ahead and check them out. Purchase those books and you will be enriched and have more to share with others with the work that he's done and provided for you through his writing. Gary Scott Smith, Amazon.com. Gary, do you have a favorite president? Well, first, let me say that I admire many American presidents because, I've, as I've said, um, it is a thankless job in many ways. Uh, one often wonders why anyone would be willing to do it. You subject yourself to constant scrutiny and a great deal of uh, neg negative reactions. Uh, you can't please all the people all the time. And particularly since the advent of the Internet um, it has become even in 24-hour news cycles, it's become even more difficult to be a president. Um, so I, I respect people greatly who are willing to to do that. 
to campaign for and seek the office and be willing to to carry it out, knowing that they're going to be uh, under such careful scrutiny and constant criticism and that many people will think that they aren't doing the right thing. So that said, um, I've I've got a number of people that I admire uh, significantly as presidents in, in the role that they played. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt would certainly be near the top of my list. One surprising person is John Quincy Adams, who was our nation's uh, seventh president. And he was a probably a Unitarian. He was couldn't make up his mind whether he believed that Christ was divine or not. But he was very religiously devout. He prayed regularly. He read scriptures for an hour every day. He served as a vice president of the American Bible Society. He's the only president who, after he left office, uh, went back into Congress and served for, in his case, 17 more years before he literally died with his boots on in the chamber of, of Congress. Um, and during that period, he became a major advocate for Native American rights, as well as for the rights of African-Americans. Uh, he was a big advocate of internal improvements um, when he was president that helped uh, develop the infrastructure of our country. I, I just think he had a strong moral foundation. He was, along with Thomas Jefferson, probably the most intelligent president we had. He brought perhaps more experience in foreign policy than almost any other president we've had. He was, of course, Secretary of State um, before he became president under James Monroe. Um, the Monroe Doctrine is often said should be called the John Quincy Adams Doctrine. Uh, there's just a lot to like about the guy. I mean, he wasn't all that uh, sociable or personable. Uh, he certainly wasn't charismatic, but uh, he just... He had a he had a good heart and uh, cared deeply about the American people, and I think worked really hard to try to pursue policies that benefited them. John Quincy Adams and Teddy Roosevelt. Well, we've got it from you, Gary. Does religion influence political decisions? Well, I think definitely. Again, I think it can be overstated and and has been in in a few cases overstated how much the impact is, but much more likely it is to be understated and to say that religion uh, is no more, a president's religious convictions and background is no more important than his hobbies like stamp collecting or bird watching. So that's been the, the bigger tendency to just totally neglect the faith of presidents to write a 800-page biography and have three sentences about the religious background and convictions of a president. So I, I try in my, my two books to provide ample examples, anywhere from one to six per president, of how their faith impacted particular public policies. And of course, those policies differ from George Washington to Barack Obama because of you know what was most important during their administrations and what was most important to them in terms of their own political philosophy and practice. But uh, I, I think I make a pretty strong case in many instances that faith was very a significant factor in helping shape what they did in, in those areas. Um, just to give you one example, there's a guy named Kenneth Woodward who 
a longtime religious news editor for Newsweek magazine. And he got a hold of me through a mutual friend. And he said, you know, I'm really not sure that a president's faith has ever really significantly influenced any policy decisions. And I said, well, we had about an hour and a half conversation on the phone about it. And I gave him lots of examples. He got a hold of my two books and he read them and he totally changed his mind about how religion had impacted these presidents, even though he had spent a good chunk of his professional life covering uh, the topic of, of the presidency. So I think, you know, when we present people with the facts, I think you can show them that faith is a major component in decision-making policy, uh, adapting uh, of numerous presidents. Gary, thank you so much for sharing this time with us and explaining in such detail about presidents and faith. A word as we close, I'd, I'd like to ask you to pray, but as we do, you did mention Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, share a little bit about what you think Teddy Roosevelt would say to people going through a rough time. A word, hypothetically speaking, from a president to our dear listeners today. Well, Roosevelt certainly knew something about tough times himself. He lost a wife. He had um, health problems as a child. He was a police commissioner of New York. It was a tough job. He, he, you know, he fought in the Spanish-American War. Uh, he, he went through a lot of challenges in his own life. He, you know, despite his, his uh, rough rider mystique and uh, his level of fitness, he died before he reached the age of 60. So, you know, he, he, knew, he knew heartache. He knew problems uh, on a personal level. Um, the years of his presidency were perhaps not quite as traumatic and difficult as those of some of his uh, predecessors and successors. But um, on the whole, um, again, you know, the burdens of office are so significant that it's challenging for any president, regardless of what issues he has to deal with. So I think he would he would say to us, um, you know, have faith, trust in God, surround yourself with with good people who can who can support you and encourage you and stimulate you. He was a, a very good church attender throughout his life. Get involved in a local church, uh, read scripture. He knew scripture well. Pray regularly. I think he would encourage us in all those ways. Gary, a closing prayer for our dear listener in view of that. I'll be happy to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for our American presidents. They have indeed, in most cases, been good role models for us, especially when we think about the challenges that confronted them. Thank you for their willingness to take on these responsibilities and to serve so effectively. Be with our current president, be with our Congress, be with our state governors, be with people who serve us in political office at all levels, including down to the local. We know we live in contentious times, Father. We know we live in times when we have difficulty listening to one another, empathizing with one another, trying to understand each other's points of view. We pray that we might be more ready 
to listen, less eager to speak, more willing to put ourselves in other people's shoes, more willing to be able to dialogue and negotiate and to think about the common good than just the good of our own ethnic, racial, religious, social groups, that we would truly think about what's good for not just even the United States, but for the world. There are so many issues that are international, such as the climate change issue, the poverty issue, infectious diseases, war, just so many issues that affect our entire human population. So Father, help us to care deeply about one another. Help us to use our talents and resources to bless and benefit others. And thank you for the opportunity to discuss with Danny these things on his show today. We pray in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Gary. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Danny. Words of faith and leadership from Dr. Gary Scott Smith, Amazon.com. My friend, God's timing is perfect. And there's no better time than right now to share the love of Jesus with someone near you. If you haven't done so, look, this might be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Christ. I believe it. Go to drdanny.live. We've got some resources for you there to join our prayer team or partner with us financially. Again, visit drdanny.live. And I thank you in advance. Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Dr. Gary Scott Smith, Amazon.com. Until next time, along with my producer, David Nasora, creative director, Brian Torres, web designer, Ninth Avenue Studio, and guest coordinator, Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.